This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeves. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heath, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Thank you guys so much for returning for another awesome episode Habitat Management coming to you here. We have none other than Mr. Don Higgins on the line tonight, guys. I know you know Don. He was on episode 49 and episode 103. So if you haven't heard of Don, um, you're probably newer into this industry. But if you have, uh, you know that he's been on a hot streak recently killing some giant deer over the last, you know, seven, eight years for sure. And also just doing a great job at representing hunters in this industry. Good faith-based man, which we all appreciate. And uh, just, you know, not afraid to tell you how it is. Um, I like that quality. So we have Don here tonight. We're going to talk about, you know, what's new with with Higgins Outdoors and real-world wildlife products. We're going to talk about Lester's Feet, the charity that Don and his podcast have started and then we're also going to talk about some summer trail camera tips and habitat projects that Don is currently working on or is uh, about to work on here soon. So, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Again, we have Don Higgins for the third time. He was on episode number 49 and 103, if you want to hear about his two bucks over 400 inches total. And then we talked about his third 200-inch buck, which he killed this past fall on episode 103. So be sure to tune into those, too, if you like what Don says tonight and, and you you know, just appreciate the kind of hunter and habitat manager Don is, uh, just, a, just a wealth of knowledge, and we're happy to have him. We met him at the ATA show a few years back, and uh, he is just a friendly guy, 
um, just like you and me. And uh, it was really refreshing to talk to somebody in the industry, you know, down to earth as he is and uh, as we try to be as well. So none other than John Higgins coming up here soon, guys. Now I want to thank Packer Max, Cult to Packers. So I picked up my brand-new roller crimper attachment the other day from uh, Lincoln over at Packer Max headquarters there in Rockford, Michigan. Um, came home, assembled it to my to my Packer Max. Now I have an HD unit with the crimper attached. Uh, we videotaped that entire assembly, so if you want to learn more about what Lincoln's crimper looks like, um, you know, the assembly, how it came together, check that out on our YouTube, at Habitat Podcast. Check it out there. Brian put together a sweet video, and uh, you can show the assembly and the parts and how it comes together real nice. The next video in the segment is going to be my first time using it, which was also uh, last week. So I got out there. I broadcasted a bunch of beans, sunflowers, buckwheat, and into my standing, you know, volunteer crop from last year, which is rye, brassicas, clover, and terminated that with the roller crimper. Um, I took a video on that with the results, and I'm going to go back again this week to plant my screen from Killer Food Plus and take a look at how the crimper did and performed. I'll finish up the filming then, and then we'll get that video on the YouTube as well. Again, guys, that's YouTube. Then just search Habitat Podcast. We'd love to have you subscribe. We're also giving away a free expensive trail camera if you are a subscriber of the Habitat Podcast YouTube. So be sure to check that out. I also want to thank the listeners for giving us great reviews on, you know, Facebook, Spotify, Google, iTunes. I sent out, I think, about 25 more free decals in the last two days. Just getting them out, you know, to you guys for listening. Um, If you left us a review, you know, hit us up on Facebook. Let us know you did. Also, there's a group called Habitat Chat. That's our group. You can go in there and um, let us know you left a review as well. We'll get you that free 5-inch Habitat Podcast decal for free. If you want to leave a review or see Lincoln's Cultipacker or see Don's old 49 and 103 episode from the podcast, the links to all these are right below, guys. Just scroll down. We have it all there for you, uh, as well as HabitatPodcast.com. And, uh, you know, we're happy to just help keep providing this free information. If you can, we'd just appreciate some support in return, and we love you for it. So thank you very much. Let's uh, thank HuntWise, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, The Habitat Hook, Morse Nursery, and Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. All right, guys, let's get into it with Don Higgins from Real World Wildlife Products. We have Brian Hallblight on the other line. Brian, how you doing tonight? Doing great, Jared. How are you? Good, good. I'm fired up because we have a third-time returning guest, Mr. Don Higgins. Don, how you doing tonight, sir? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, thank Fantastic. you. Yeah, we appreciate awesome. you hopping on here. I know you just pulled in off the side-by-side. What were you up to tonight? Well, uh, a couple things. I had uh, just sprayed all my food plots on Friday, so I wanted to go check them out and see uh, how the herbicide was working. And also, uh, we're building a new home, so we went to see how the construction went today. Uh, my wife and I, every evening, jump on the side-by-side and go down and check out the day's progress. And 
So those were the two things on our list this evening. Very nice. How far is the the new home from where you're currently at? It can't be too far. No, it's on the same property. It's uh, it's about a quarter mile from our house now. So that's awesome. And and in terms of herbicide, are you spraying to um to get ready for your your fall plots with the drill, or, or what are your thoughts there? No, I uh, sprayed my soybeans with the glyphosate. Uh, of course, I'm planting the real-world Gen 2 soybeans, which are glyphosate tolerant. So uh, uh, there was getting to be some weeds and grasses in there that uh, I needed to take care of. So I, I sprayed them, and then I uh, got a plot of Nutri-Crave corn, the new corn that we just released this spring. And uh, it, it had a few weeds in it, too, so I sprayed some 2,4-D over it. And... Uh, just hadn't seen the plot since I sprayed, so I wanted to, to go take a look at that. Looks like the herbicides are doing their job. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nice work there. I know uh, it was a little too early to be spraying for, for fall plots. I mean, I guess not totally, but, yeah, that makes a lot more sense, spraying them beans and, and that corn. Um, how are those products performing for you since you launched them? Uh, fantastic. I mean, we sold out the Gen 2 soybeans and the Nutri-Crave corn this year, and at one point, our sales were up 140%, and then we, we didn't anticipate that, so uh, you know, every every year, we plan for you know, a little bit of growth, usually in the 25 to 30% range from the previous year, um, but it exploded this year, and we started selling out of things, and uh, so, I mean, that, that cut the the growth back just because we're out, but the sales are there for sure and the demand for the product. So next year we'll be better prepared. Very nice. Yeah, that's impressive there. I know um, I see you, you know, you're out and about and, and do a lot of podcasts and your podcast is doing well. And it seems like people are, are getting on board and, and liking what you're putting out. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Um, you know, my uh, one of the as I got older, one of my biggest uh, joys is actually helping others. Um, as much as I enjoy my own success, and I certainly do, it really is is rewarding. You know, when a client or even a total stranger uh, drops a text or an email to you with a picture of a deer and says, "I just killed the biggest buck of my life," and it's because of something that I heard you say on a podcast or. I heard you say in a seminar or I read it in one of your articles or whatever, um, the older I get, the more rewarding helping others become. So um, I, I just appreciate all the support folks have given me over the years. And if I can give back and, and help them, you know, realize their dreams, that's what I'm about. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I think uh, – we can all appreciate that, and I know we're all big fans and, and listeners and followers, you know, for years now, and and uh, obviously glad to glad to see what you're doing, and and so nice work, and let's uh, keep moving on here. I want to cover kind of what other habitat projects you've been working on this this spring, this summer so far. I know, you know, summer is kind of your your downtime, if you will, for habitat projects, but. Um, Besides spraying your beans, I mean, are you getting any trail cameras up or, or not quite yet, or what's your thoughts there? 
Well, I've got a few trail cameras up in Iowa. Um, I applied for an Iowa tag this year, and I've got enough bonus points or preference points that that I should draw a tag. Um, so I went out, and even before the the deadline to apply for the Iowa tag, I wasn't sure which unit I was going to apply for. So uh, I've made, uh, I think, four trips to Iowa so far. Um, setting up trail cameras on properties I've I've got permission and I was the reason I set them up so early I typically don't put my cameras out this early I let the bucks get grown out a little bit and usually put those cameras out about the first of July but with the deadline to draw in Iowa I was trying to get the beat on a good buck um, before, before that uh, drawing or application deadline and uh, so I've got about a dozen or so cameras out scattered across Iowa. I'm going to have to make another trip out there real soon to, um, I ended up applying for, for zone or unit eight in Iowa. And a lot of the cameras I have are in other units and I'm going to have to go out and pull them and move them to some, some ground in, in unit eight as I try to track down a, a big buck. So you must have seen something you like out in unit eight, huh? Well, to be honest, not really. Uh, <laughs> Unit 8 is the closest one uh, to Illinois. It's, it's right against the Mississippi River. I do have a farm that, that I've got permission to hunt there. Supposedly there was a giant on it last fall. Um, I, I don't have trail camera proof. All I've got is uh, is one man's word, and uh, I got permission on that farm, and but I'm not putting all my eggs in that basket. I'm smart enough to, to cover a lot of ground, so I'm all over Unit 8, or I'm going to be all over Unit 8 even more. Uh, I'm planning to go out there in the next couple of weeks and uh, move those cameras from the other units to Unit 8, check out public ground as well as try to get permission on more private ground and just see uh, what the cameras show me this summer. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I've hunted Unit 6 before, and you're not – too far from there, I gotta think eight's gotta just. I mean, good good as any. Um, at least you know for for the majority of us. And it's nice to hear that you're out there still checking on public ground and whatnot too. Not just you know cashing a chip here or there from from guys you know, but also just you know you're on the prowl for that next you know actual giant. Yeah, you know, I've made no secret of the fact that I want to kill a giant on public land and. Um, this might be the year to do it because, to be honest, here in Illinois, I mean, I know where there's some nice bucks. Um, I ought to be able to find one in the 170-inch range. Uh, I know of at least one that, that'll be there, and, and there's some others that, if they put on any growth at all from a year ago, they're going to be, you know, pushing that. But I don't have any true giants uh, to chase this year. And, you know, I'm talking 180 or better uh, that I know of anyway. So this might be the year that I spend more time on public ground than I typically have in the past. Um, I, I do know of one public land buck that was really nice the last couple of years. He'll be five years old this year. And he was probably pushing 160 last year as a four-year-old. And I, I'm hoping he's got a big jump in him and maybe he's 180. But uh, so both... Actually, I'll be hunting public land probably in three states, Iowa, Illinois, and, and Indiana. Um, so who knows? Maybe this is the year I get that big one on public land. So, Don, do you have any uh, similar 
requirements for public land that you use for private land, or are you just kind of looking around to see where the mature bucks are first and then go from there? Um, it's somewhat similar. I mean, in both cases, I'm trying to get away from other hunters as much as anything because that's exactly what a mature buck's going to do. And on public land, that requires one of two things. A lot of times, believe it or not, I'm hunting on public land real close to a road. I mean, close enough you can see the cars drive by. A lot of times in bow range, the cars are driving by. Um, because there seems to be that spot in the middle that that attracts most of the public land hunters. They either they don't want to hunt close to the road and they don't want to walk way, way back in. So there's that spot between where most of the public land hunters are. And I'm and I'm in the two other spots. I'm either real close to a road, which absolutely easy, easy, easy access, or I'm way, way back uh, with some very difficult access, which I'm certainly willing to do if there's a buck there. Um, but I'm trying to to avoid hunters on the public land just the same as I do on private land. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, putting it that simply. Um, you do see that in a lot of places where, where people are afraid to hunt right off the parking lot and you hear about those overlooked spots. So that, that makes a lot of sense for sure. So is there a certain uh, radius you try to keep yourself in to, to keep it um, comfortable to get to these spots within a few hours or, or do you kind of just uh, go where the best spots are? Well, I like to be, to be honest, around in Illinois where I live, I'm always hunting within an hour of my house. Um, I know there's some good spots that are farther away, but if I'm going to travel, I'm going to another state where I can, you know, buy another tag and kill another buck. Um, I've had a farm in Ohio, which I just sold, which was about a seven and a half hour drive for me. Um, the place I hunt in Indiana is not all that far. It's just across the line a little ways. So, you know, I can be there in about two hours. Um, my Iowa spot is only going to be a three-and-a-half-hour drive for me. So, and that's that's actually pretty far for me. But it's all about the deer, really. I mean, I'm going to go where the biggest buck I can find is if, if I could find a 200-inch buck and he was in California, I'd drive out there and hunt him. <laughs> but nice. it's just, uh, you know, I just go where they are, but I try to find them closer to home. I guess is the simplest way to put it. So I kind of got sidetracked there, but mentioned, you know, your your camera tips and tricks right about now. If you're covering this much ground trying to find um, what's probably – one of the most rare things in the woods. Uh, how many cameras are you running right now, and what type of cameras are you running? Um, I've got uh, probably 50 to 60 cameras. Um, I don't have an exact count, but it's, it's got to be at least 50. Um, the cameras that I'm using now are Reconyx for the most part. I also use some Exodus. Um, I ha I've used just about everything on the market at one time or another, and I just got tired of, of disappointment going to check a camera that you let soak in the woods for three or four months, only to find it only worked for a week after you put it out. 
is no fun at all. Um, or, uh, you know, there's, there's just all kinds of issues. You, you go check it and you got 3,000 pictures and 2,990 of them are just leaves blowing. Um, Reconyx is hands down the best camera out there. I know a lot of people don't like uh, the high price of the Reconyx, but I, I think it's the cheapest camera out there because I've been using it since 2010. Um, and every Reconyx camera I've ever bought, I'm either still using it or it got stolen. Um, I, I don't have any laying around that are junk. They, they just continue to work and uh, reliable as can be. So if you would take the cost of a Reconyx camera and, and say, divide it over five years, and I've been using them for, for 12 now or 11, and if you just divided that cost over five years, it's the cheapest camera out there. You, you can keep buying cheap cameras, and you're going to have to keep buying them. But the thing is that the bucks that I'm hunting are, are so rare and uh, that, that you just can't afford to miss a picture of them. When, when that opportunity happens in front of one of your cameras, you've got to capture it. You just can't afford to miss. And, and that's why um, – in the past year, I've just got rid of everything except Reconyx, and I think Exodus is is just a little step down from from Reconyx, from my experience, especially their cell cameras. I, I think it's called the Render. Um, yep. I had one of those I tested last year, and it, it performed excellent and uh, had it out for the entire season. One set of batteries, uh, just no problems with it whatsoever. The guys at Exodus are probably my favorite trail camera people in the whole industry are the folks at Exodus Cameras. Um, but when it comes to chasing big deer, you, you absolutely, like I said, it's so rare that you just cannot take chances with lesser equipment if you want to kill them because the opportunities are just so rare. When one happens, you need to you need to take advantage. You know, when you put it like that, it's hard to argue with you, Don. I think um, how many how many big bucks walk in front of a camera one time, and that's it, right? And for you to either yep. screw that opportunity up with a camera that doesn't work or or malfunctions or an audible click or something along those lines, I mean, and the fact that they're still working for 10 years – that's that's pretty awesome. Um, I know we were just in the studio with the Exodus guys about two weeks ago, and yeah, those guys were awesome. No, uh, no questions there. Um, yeah, I tell them if they if they can just take their cameras up another notch, I'm on board with them. Awesome. And uh, believe it or not, at, at Chasing Giants, we've turned down three different camera companies who wanted to to sponsor the podcast, and that's just something that I'm not gonna you know, lower my standards. Um, I, I'm not going to compromise the trail camera because it's just way too important. If you miss that picture, you never even know that deer was there. And you just can't afford to miss because it's so rare to happen. Well, Don, I don't, I don't take you to be a guy to compromise in, in any of your sponsors, um, as 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 am I. Uh, I. I have that same... That same backbone, if you will, or feelings. So, I good for you for you know mm-hmm. sticking to it because the last thing you want to do is promote a bunch of you know quote unquote junk or, or stuff that maybe was great for a little while to to all your you know listeners who trust you. So, um, I appreciate hearing things like that. That's great. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, I just call it like it is, and sometimes that doesn't go over well with some people, <laughs> but I don't want to mislead anyone, and I don't want to hurt anyone's company. You know, if someone's got a product that I don't believe in, I don't. I don't really want to bash that company and hurt that company, but at the same time, if someone's looking to me for direction or advice, I'm darn sure not going to steer them wrong. Yeah, we appreciate that for sure. We try to do the same thing here for our listeners and our followers. So uh, speaking of uh, not having a very popular opinion on some subjects, I noticed there's been some banter back and forth about summer food for deer and uh, some different comments being thrown around. What What is your take on having summer food for the deer and uh, keeping those summer plots going for them? Well, my philosophy is, uh, and one thing you've got to remember, when I'm throwing out advice, I'm not throwing out general deer hunting advice or even buck hunting advice. I'm throwing out advice that based on my approach to shooting mature bucks that are at least four and a half years old. And most of the bucks I shoot are, are five and a half and older. Um, so you, you got to factor that in whenever I say something. Uh, these, sure. these guys that want to get on the Internet and argue, you know, how, how much experience do they really have? I mean, I've been hunting deer twice as long as some of them guys have been alive. Right. And right. that's not to bash them whatsoever. It's just a fact. No, and, just putting uh, things in context. So my opinion sure. is based on that. Um, so to answer your question, any time that I'm advising someone in, in regards to food on a property, I, I think that for multiple reasons that we should be striving to have food on a property 365 days a year. And, you know, one of the reasons when I talk about mature bucks you know, that buck, I don't want a buck to ever have a reason to leave a property, whether it's mine or my clients or whatever. I know he's going to, but I don't want him to have to leave. And uh, and especially for something like food that I can provide. And, you know, when they talk about not providing summer food, um, but yet they want to provide that food in a plot in the fall, I got to question how good a stewardship that is. I mean, what are you going to have in that plot in the spring and summer? Are you just going to leave it bare dirt or weeds or what? And if you like fall planted plots, that's great. Go ahead and plant those. But you can plant something in the spring, like a soil builder mix or something that also provides nutrition for those deer. Um, I don't buy into the idea that providing summer food is going to make your property a, a dose factory or whatever you want to call it. Um, just based on my experience, because I, I've never seen that happen. And the properties that I've been blessed to be able to manage, I've always had the, the philosophy of food 365 days a year. And, yeah, there may be does there in the summer, but if you really understand the biology of whitetails, you know, and this does vary somewhat from region to region, but those does, when they go to fawn in the spring, they don't want to be piled on top of each other. It's Mother Nature's way of, of ensuring survival of the species. Those does will spread out within their range to have their fawns. So if you've got spring, summer food, whatever on your property, that doesn't mean every doe in the area is just going to pile in there. Now, sure, 
you can concentrate them to some degree. But when they go to fawn, they want to scatter out. Now, later in the summer, they will start coming together in groups. And, uh, you know, I don't know, it was a couple summers ago, I was, it's probably been longer than that, that the summer that Smokey um, was alive right before I shot him on my farm, which was meant 17, um, I was trying real hard to get some video footage of him in Velvet. And I remember one evening I was uh, over a soybean plot um, where I thought he was probably coming out because I knew he was bedded fairly close. And I didn't see him that evening, but I think I had 11 fawns at one time in those soybeans running around playing and such. So if you got 11 fawns there, you got several deer or several does. Um, but the, but my whole philosophy is based on 365 days of food on a, on a property if possible. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense for sure. We subscribe to that theory as well. Is there any situation where you would avoid putting summer food somewhere for any reason? Well, if there is, I haven't run into it yet. Okay. I mean, I would be, you know, I've been doing this or deer hunting for 43 years, and I think one of the reasons for my success is that I've never considered myself an expert. I'm always trying to learn more. So uh, saying that, you know, someone could could describe a situation to me. I'm open-minded enough that, that I would sure. consider um, listening to a situation where maybe summer food is not a good idea. But I can tell you that I have not encountered one myself at this point. So we know that you love the soybeans, and, and that's a great product that you had. I've used that myself many times for many years. And uh, what else do you like to use for summer food plots besides the beans? Well, I've got quite a bit of clover on my farm. A lot of it is in, uh, like, the fire breaks around the switchgrass fields and such. Um, in, any travel lanes, you know, to get to my plots. Uh, I like to plant those in clover. Um, basically, the only thing you would find on my farm today is the clover and the soybeans and the corn now come fall i'll plant a lot of deadly dozen which is a mix that real world has with 12 different plant species cereal grains and brassicas and you know the turnip sugar beets radish and those those things but uh i think diversity is a key as well um you know a lot of what i've learned about managing for deer really come from my interest in livestock as a kid you know i raised livestock and showed the 4-h fairs and FFA fairs and such, and uh, nutrition was something uh, I had a real interest in. Nutrition and genetics are, are two topics that I've had a real interest in, and I just took some of the the knowledge that I had from the livestock industry and applied it to managing whitetails. And, you know, an animal really has a unique ability to, to balance his own diet given the opportunity. Um, so in other words, if he needs protein, he's going to seek out a source of protein. If he needs fiber, he's going to seek out a source of fiber to balance his diet. And with diversity in food plots, um, and one of the reasons I really like Deadly Dozen for them 12 plant species is you can really micromanage that to another level because, you know, one plant may be high in, say, vitamin, I don't know, B, and another plant's high in, say, calcium or whatever, a plant species. 
if, if a deer's got all these different species that have different nutrient makeup, he can better balance his diet. And uh, so, so that's been my approach. That's why I love the deadly dozen so mixed with them 12 plant species. Um, you know, a deer's nutritional limitation is really, you know, it's, like, it's the weakest link. What nutrient is in shortest supply um, and availability in his range? And that's what's going to limit um, his genetic potential um, through nutrition. So diversity is huge. Yes, no doubt for sure. Uh, a lot of our friends are struggling with drought in Illinois right now. Are you having any of those problems there? And, and what do you do about that situation if you find yourself not getting the rain that you need? Um, actually, we've been blessed this spring. We've got timely rains. And, uh, oh, we could use the rain right now, but we're not critical by any means. I was in Indiana over the weekend, and, you know, they were a lot drier there than what we are. The corn leaves were curled up and everything, and it's not like that at all here. So, um, you know, I guess we're blessed that way. But um, in drought conditions such as, uh, well, we had it in 17, the year that I shot uh, Smokey and Trump, and also in 2012, it was really bad. The thing I try to do is, is basically keep a water source for the deer. Um, I've done it artificially with tubs or, you know, livestock tanks. I've also just, uh, there's one water hole in the creek that runs through my property. It's always the last place to dry up. And uh, luckily, it's one that is easily accessed. It's, it's not in the cover. It's it's out uh, away from the woods a little bit as the, the creek really becomes more of a ditch connecting two woods. Um, that water hole is the last place to dry up. And I, more than one summer, I've had to take totes of water with my skid loader and just emptied them into that water hole to keep them going. And in 2017, the year that I shot the Smokey on this farm, that's what I was doing. About once a week, I would haul you know, three or four totes to to keep that water hole going, and I put a trail camera on it, and I think I had every stinking critter in the whole section hitting that water hole. I mean, there was <laughs> every deer, every coyote, every coon, every possum, every squirrel, every rabbit, you name it, they were hitting that. I mean, I'd check that, that camera every three or four days when I'd put water in the hole, and there'd be like 8,000 pictures. <laughs> and uh, every critter around was, was hitting that water. So. You know, water is a nutrient that deer need as well. So on those particular years, the water is the nutrient in, in shortest supply. And, and you gotta you got to give it to them if you want them to maximize their genetic potential. So, Don, we're also seeing that, that drought here up in Michigan right now. I know um, Illinois, Southern Illinois, plots are, are looking decent from, from a couple of buddies I know down there. Uh, what do you What do you recommend for – you know, guys who are maybe just starting to listen to your show or our show and, and getting into this. I mean, are you starting to to drill more? Are you changing your planting setup around? Um, I guess your your top well, your top couple recommendations on that would be helpful. I am changing my my approach a little bit. Um, no till. I'm going to no till. Um, I'm using the deadly dozen as a cover crop. 
So where I'm going to plant the deadly dozen this fall, next spring, I, I will go in and spray that to kill it, and then I'll just no-till the soybeans right into it. You know, so the ground never gets broke open. And, and a lot of times by the time I'm spraying that, um, a lot of those plants in the deadly dozen are going to survive the winter, especially the rye and the winter wheat. And that stuff will be up, oh, you know, 8, 10, 12 inches tall when it comes time to plant the soybeans. And I, I've rigged up, I don't know, you guys have probably seen it on my uh, social media where I got a, a sprayer on the front of my tractor where the bucket would be. And then I've got a Genesis drill on the back. So I'm going in and spraying right in front of the tractor and then drilling the soybeans right behind it into these this cover crop, if you will, of deadly dozen. And as that deadly dozen is dying off, it almost puts a layer of thatch on top of the ground. And uh, to be honest, you know, I, did, I talked about earlier spraying my soybeans. Well, the plots, I, I had some plots that I, I drilled into corn stalks from from last year, and then I had some that I'm drilling into, or I drilled into uh, the Deadly Dozen. The ones that I drilled into the Deadly Dozen, I did not have to spray. There, there's hardly a weed in them. Um, so, you know, that's allowing me to back off on the herbicide some, too. I don't have to come back with that second spraying. I just spray the day I plant, and that's it for the year which is it's a real labor saver, but, uh, you know, having that layer of dead thatch holds some moisture in and uh, not having to break the ground with a disc or a tiller is holding moisture in. So, yeah, I am changing my approach somewhat. So, Don, walk us through that setup that you came up with. I see you got the sprayer on the uh, front loader, and looks like you got the drill in the back, obviously. How did you come up with that and uh, walk our listeners through what that looks like? Well, the, the way I came up with it, I just got to thinking that if I could do this in one pass, because before, you know, I would I'd have to put my sprayer on my tractor, go out and spray the plot, and then I'd let it, let it work its magic and kill the weeds for a week or so. I'd come back, I'd hook up a disc, I'd disc the plot. Then I'd come back and I'd hook up my planter and I'd plant. Then I'd have to come back a little while later and hook back up to the the uh, sprayer and spray the weeds again. And uh, it was just a lot of work, and I thought there's got to be a simpler way. And I, I looked at the crimper system, um, but what I don't like about that is the conditions ha have to be right for that to work really well. I mean, if the if the rye or whatever it is that you're crimping is not in the right stage, it, it just don't work quite as well. And uh, for me, it just made more sense if the ground conditions are right. In other words, if it's dry enough for me to be out there planting, I, I don't want to have to worry about the stage of the, the plant growth of the of the crop that I'm terminating. And having a sprayer up front, I, I just didn't have to do that. And so I just, uh, you know, I brought a spray tank and I came up with, I took it to a local welding shop and came up with a design. It's got a uh, it covers a 10-foot width in front of the tractor, but it's got uh, two three-foot uh, arms that stick out, one on each side that are spring-loaded. So if I would hit something, they'll spring back, and it won't bend them and tear them up. Um, it's got a uh, just a, an electric uh, pump on it like you would have on a ATV sprayer. 
but right. I've got a wire that runs back to my my cab of my tractor, and I got a place where I can plug that in with a toggle switch. So I'm sitting there in the cab, and I can flip that toggle switch off and on and turn that sprayer off. And oh wow! And then. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's really handy. I would not advise someone to do it if they don't have a cab tractor. But uh, what I really like about that, I, I use the mount, the same mount that, uh, like, buckets use on a, on a front loader on a tractor or, or pallet forks on the front. You sure. can buy those plates, um, those mounting plates in it. And I've got one of them on the sprayer, so it's really easy to hook up. Um, but what I like about it is I can adjust that height really easy just using the loader arms. You know, I can pick it up to get barely above the weeds. I don't want it any higher than it needs to be. Um, but it, it works really well. It's really simple to use, really easy to hook up. And, uh, you know, I have no intentions of, of switching to another method at this time. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at ways to, to utilize it even more than I have been. Sure, I don't blame you. Based on the pictures and the videos I've seen of it in action, you've really got that thing dialed, and yep. it's kind of it's kind of fun to follow along and see the ingenuity on that. Now, Jared came up with yeah, something. Yeah, I'm going to be that. taking pictures. Sure, go ahead. I, I'm going to be taking pictures of that uh, the plot that, that I was just describing where I sprayed the deadly dozen. Uh, I've made a, a short video, which I posted uh the day I was doing it, doing the planning, and then I posted another. Someone asked uh, for me to keep them updated and to, to post uh, pictures throughout the summer. Uh, once the soybeans started coming up through that uh, dying vegetation, I posted a picture. But now the soybeans, you look across that field, and it's like a, a mixture of the green-growing soybeans and the, the brown, dead uh, rye and wheat <laughs> from that uh, deadly dozen mix. Sure. So, Jared, you came up with something sort of similar on a smaller scale. Walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with Don, right? I'm thinking um, there's got to be an easier way to, to do this stuff. And Lincoln came out with that, that roller crimper at Packer Max to, to tow behind your ATV or your tractor. So I thought, I'll try the crimper route. Um, so, Don, I'm doing similar to what you're doing. I, I put a, a seed spreader or broadcaster on the front of the ATV, you know, fill that with like a summer mix of beans and sunflowers and, uh, you know, all that good organic matter, soil building stuff, and then crimp behind it as I'm going in, in a one-pass system. Um, now, uh -huh. to your, now, to your point, if, if the crimper doesn't crimp, then, I, you know, I, I, I'll be wishing I would have sprayed, but at the same time, I'm... For summer stuff and, and building soil, I'm not really that worried about it. Uh, so I was able to right. go terminate and plant in one pass. And um, like you said before, I mean, I used to go out there and spray, wait two weeks, disc, wait a week, spray again, the whole thing. And, you know, with three kids and a couple jobs and this and that, like you have to you have to be efficient. So I, uh, I like what you did there with the drill. I, hopefully I'll get there someday. But I think uh, whether it's – it's crimping or drilling or spraying or whatever it is. The no-till soil method at this point in Michigan summer is not a bad place to be. Nope, for sure. In drought conditions, it can really shine. I think um, I know the the plots don't always look as pretty, but 
at the same time, I'm hoping to to get a good crimp, and I'll go out there tomorrow and, and check it out and see what's going on. But uh, I like what you did with that. I think um, having the cab on your sprayer, if you're if you got the sprayer mounted on the buckets or the forks up there, that's uh, that's a good idea to have a cab for sure. Yeah, you don't want to take any chances with your health. So um, if you don't have a cab tractor, don't try it. So I want to get into uh, the charity before we wrap up, but I have, I have one quick question that might take us down a small little rabbit hole. How do you know when you want to plant either your miscanthus or your switchgrass? I know there's a lot of buzz going around over the last year, I think, about miscanthus and being the devil's lettuce or whatever you want to call it. But what, what, are, you, what are you thinking? When do you use one versus the other? Let's just hit that. Well, if I want bedding cover, I'm using uh, switchgrass. The only time I'm using miscanthus is for structure within the bedding cover or for screening. Um, I think it's the best screening plant that there ever was, uh, even better than trees, um, because in about a five-foot-wide strip of miscanthus, I can block better than any tree that that was ever put on the earth. Um, and if someone don't believe it, I got the proof right here on my farm. But uh, so you you can and you do it one time and you're done. You got that screen forever. So I don't think there's anything any plant, be it an annual, be it a tree, be it whatever, that can compare to miscanthus for the screening. And you use such a small width to do it. Um, but for bedding cover, you know, it's just too expensive. It's too, uh, it's really too thick even. But what I do like to do is within my switchgrass fields, I will plant miscanthus in various shapes like a giant X. Um, because what I've seen on my farm is those, those pockets or those corners, um, where like two rows of miscanthus come together and form a corner or whatever. The deer really seem to like to bed in those corners. So if you plant a giant axe, you've really got four of those corners right there in the middle um, where those deer can bed. So the other thing is you can you can create travel patterns for deer within your switchgrass field. So uh, let's say you've got I don't know a ten acre field of switchgrass and you want to you want those deer to exit that switchgrass at a certain point. Um, say you got a, a nice tree for a stand and, and you want those deer instead of just coming out here, there and everywhere to, to really concentrate that deer exit from the switchgrass right there by your stand, you can take and, and just plant a single row of miscanthus starting, you know, right there by your stand and then just lead it right out into the middle of the, the, uh, switchgrass field. And what those deer seem to want to do is, it's structure. It's just like throwing Christmas trees in a farm pond for fish. Those those deer will stand up from their beds, and they will. They have, for one thing, they actually like to bed right against that switchgrass or right against that miscanthus within the switchgrass. But then when they stand up to to exit the switchgrass field, they will follow that row of miscanthus right out past your stand. Um, so there's some, I'm finding some really good uses for it. In fact, uh, the last two springs. I've, I've really planted a lot of miscanthus, uh, not for screening so much, but more for, for structure. And, uh, I've got one more field to do 
next spring, and then I'm pretty much done with miscanthus on my place. But uh, that's the best use for miscanthus. It's not, it's not good bedding cover, but it's great screening and structure. Uh, if you want bedding cover, stick with the switchgrass. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, Don. And great tips there. You're you almost you're creating an edge inside of a another you know bedding area that's so thick it's it's hard to create an edge inside there without cutting lanes or something. So very cool. I, mean, I think I heard you and Terry talk exactly. about that on one of your shows um, earlier this year. Um, great great stuff there. And if you had to compare a screen of miscanthus five foot wide, like you mentioned versus cave and rock switchgrass or another good switchgrass, canlow or something like that at at 8 to 10 pounds per acre, so it's seeded thick enough so it is a screen, not bedding. How wide would you recommend that switchgrass screen to be versus the 5-foot miscanthus? Well, I don't think it matters how wide you make it. It's never going to compare to miscanthus because miscanthus is going to be at least twice as tall. And that's where it really shines. I mean, you could drive a pickup truck behind a row of miscanthus and, and not be able to see it. Um, where with switchgrass, it just it wouldn't matter if it was 50 feet wide. It wouldn't compare to the five foot of miscanthus. Hmm. Interesting. And how are you planting your miscanthus? What's the best and most efficient way you find to plant your rhizomes? Well, without a doubt, a tree seedling planter that you pull behind a tractor that you use for bare root seedlings. Um, just set it about four inches deep uh, and get two people sitting on the planter if it's got two seats and go about as slow as you can and try to get those rhizomes in about every 12 to 18 inches. And you'll have a, you can do about three of those rows in a five foot width and I mean, you're going to have a wall. <laughs> Yes, sir. That sounds great. Now, the, the main reason, like I said, I reached out for you or to you for this this episode here today was to get you on and talk about your your charity, your foundation that that you and Terry have created, the uh, Lester's Feet Foundation. Um, I'm obviously a listener of your show. You had something where you were having a call to action for your listeners to to help spread the word. So I thought, well, I kind of have a way to do that, uh, Brian and I. So I want to get you on here. I want to talk about the foundation, what it is, um, what you have coming up, you know, end of this month, and uh, how our listeners can help. Well, I appreciate you guys helping spread the word, and I feel a little bit guilty because uh, it, it really is the effort, the idea, and the effort of my co-host, Terry Peer. Um, Terry's daughter um, plays college softball, and, and the softball team was, uh, you know, looking for for a, a charity, if you will, or some someone to help. And there's a family in Kentucky that had two little girls that uh, have life-threatening cancer. And I mean, it'd be—I don't know. I think both you guys are, are parents, and it just—I yeah. couldn't imagine. Um, you know, having one child battling a life-threatening illness, let alone two, and and this family down there had these two little girls, both of them probably under, they're both definitely under 10 years old, um, fighting cancer. And, well, one wow. thing started, and uh, Terry was, uh, you know, making uh, 
trying to help this family, taking donations or whatever to help this family. He was making SD card holders and selling them with the proceeds uh, to go to this family. And um, I said, you know what? I want to donate a hunt on my farm. And uh, called Terry one morning and said, I've been thinking about your idea of helping this family. I want to donate a hunt on my farm with uh, the proceeds to, to go help this family. And, well, he calls me back later that day, and he decided he was going to donate a hunt that to, to uh, with the proceeds, too. We was going to either auction them off or have a raffle or whatever. And then it wasn't a couple of days later, Terry started a whole foundation called Lester's Feet. And uh, his grandfather was named Lester and had giant feet and uh, <laughs> um, just a good Christian man that uh, was always trying to help others. And Terry was trying to carry on his grandfather's legacy and uh, started this charity. And, well, the ball got rolling and just kept getting bigger and bigger. And uh, we got donations throughout the hunting industry. Um, 360 Hunting Blinds has donated a hunting blind. Uh, Matthews has donated a brand new bow. Um, boy, I feel bad that I've started naming companies because there's so many and I know I'm not going to remember them all. Um, but just a lot of donations. Uh, oh, who, who's some of the others? Uh, there was a Yeti cooler donated, um, Midwest Land Group. Uh, real estate uh, outfit out of uh, well, the Kansas area is where they're headquartered, but they're in several states. Uh, Victory Chevrolet has donated. Uh, Cranford Easy Climb that has the tree steps has donated. Um, I think Exodus Trail Cameras has donated. Uh, I don't know. There, there's just a long list. There's, I don't know, probably like um, just get an 80 or 100 well. prizes. Yeah, there's there's a ton of them. Yeah. I saw that. Um, but anyway, uh, this foundation, 100% of the proceeds from this foundation is going to go to help families who have children with life-threatening illnesses. And uh, we've already, uh, the, the family I told you about with the two little girls, um, the Ward family, we've already, or Terry's already helped them tremendously. Uh, there's another family that had a, a sick little boy that uh, needed some treatment in uh, North Carolina, and the family had to travel to, to get this treatment that they've been helped. And, and basically, we're reaching out to the hunting community not only for support for this raffle, um, but also we're looking for for families that need these donations. Uh, the drawing for this raffle will be July 4th. Um, the um, there's a group called SC Online Sales that does they they do a lot of different uh, auctions online auctions and such. They actually stepped up to the plate and donated their website and services to help uh, run this. So anybody that's interested can go to SCOnlineSales.com and there'll be a bunch of different auctions. But look for the outdoor auction and then look for the Lester's Feet raffle. Um, but so far, I mean, we're pushing, uh, we're over $50,000 raised. Wow. And uh, I think we're pushing 60000 and going to sell tickets till the end of the month. And uh, the grand prize uh, winner, they can either choose to hunt on uh, my farm with me for three days or on Terry's farm with him for three days. 
His is going to be a, a velvet hunt in Kentucky, and mine's going to be a late October hunt uh, on my farm. So, uh, you know, we're just uh, we're, we're going to give away both hunts. I don't know which one you want to call the grand prize. We'll let the the uh, person that gets drawn first take a pick, and then whichever one's left, uh, the next person will get. But anyway, we just appreciate all the support from the hunting industry, and uh, you know, we we feel like we've been given a platform um, to take this down a rabbit hole, if you will. Several years ago, I mean, I'm talking probably 15 years ago. Matthews Archery is one of my sponsors and has been for for 20 years or more. And uh, I, I wanted, I found out about all this charity work that Matthews was doing behind the scenes that I never heard of. And, and this company had been around a while, you know, and they was building these great bows, but nobody ever talked about this humanitarian work these, this company was doing. And I wanted to write a magazine article on it, so I submitted a request to Matthews to interview Matt McPherson, uh, the founder of Matthews Archery. And I'll tell you what, it was almost like trying to interview the president just to to get approved to <laughs> to speak to this guy on the phone. And uh, I finally got through to him, and uh, or he called me, and it was it was like it was almost a life changing phone call because you know he. Matt was raised a pastor's son, and, um, you know, he believes in in giving back. And, you know, some of the Matthews employees have told me that they'll have meetings with Matt, and he'll he'll tell them, you know, the more money we make at Matthews, the more we can help people. And Matthews has done a lot of stuff around the globe. I mean, they've they've supported missionaries, but at the same time, they've dug, you know, at at the time I interviewed Matt, which, which was 15 years ago probably, at that time, they had dug 70 water wells in third world countries, and then they would send a missionary in um, to minister to these people that were coming to the water well, and uh, just all kinds of things like that um, around the globe that they've done. Um, but Matt shared a scripture with me whenever I was on the phone with him. He said, uh, the scripture is, to whom much is given, much is also expected. And he explained to me, you know, that his business ventures had been so blessed and that he was just led by his faith to help others. And it was life-changing for me to hear that because I've tried to follow that same response or, or that, that same, you know, effort in my life that I feel like Chasing Giants is a platform that God has given Terry and I um, to reach deer hunters. We're not only trying to share knowledge to help them reach their dreams, but we can do so much more with it. And if we can help these families, I mean, I, I just can't imagine as a father myself having a child that, you know, may not live. Um, so it, it's just uh, that's kind of a long-winded way of explaining this uh, charity raffle that, that Terry and I are hosting. And, to be honest, you really should be having Terry on here to explain the whole thing because uh, he, he can tell the story so much better than I. But, um, you know, we're just trying to give back. We, we feel so blessed ourselves that, you know, my kids are healthy, Terry's kids are healthy, but some families are not that fortunate. And we worry about things like are we going to find a big buck to hunt this fall? And that is really so, so minor compared to what a lot of families are going through. And 
if that's we can true. help those families in some way, we want to do that, and that's what this raffle is about. And the great thing about it is that 100% of the the sales of these tickets is going to these families. There's absolutely no administration cost coming out of it. So if we raise $50,000, $50,000 is going to these families. And if there's any listener out there that, you know, thinks that they know a family that, that would be a good candidate um, to receive some of this money, by all means, reach out to us. We would really like to kind of keep it in the the hunting community if we can, but we're not opposed to helping anyone. But, uh, you know, our calling is kind of here in the, in the hunting community, and if we can help others, and that's what we want to do. Well said, Don. Well said. I I felt what you guys have been preaching on, on the podcast, you and Terry, um, about this foundation, and uh, I'm a donor myself, and I think that you guys doing this, um, j- j- just like you said, I mean, nobody can imagine, if you haven't dealt with it yet, how, how having a, a sick child or a child with issues could, could affect you. I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. So, um, it, yeah, I'm glad you, you know, you came on the show. I'm glad you, you got that out. That is, we'll have the links below, guys. We'll have the links below to this website where you can donate. Um, and, Don, when do the donations go till? How late can you can you donate till? Um, only until June 30th, so there's not too much time left. And the drawing will be July 4th on our web, our podcast. Uh, Terry and I record the Chasing Giants podcast every uh, Sunday evening, and July 4th is on a Sunday this year, so that's the day that uh, we're going to be drawing the winners. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, we'll have all the links below. This will launch uh, the 17th of June, so we'll have a couple weeks left to get our listeners in and and see if anybody wants to help out and uh, just really – you know, great story with Matt McPherson there and, and Matthews. I wonder if he named that his other bowline mission had anything to do with the, the mission trips. Um, never know, I guess. Absolutely. You know, that, 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 is the it? profits okay. from that go 100% to missionary work. Wow. I did not know that. Very yep. cool. It just, just goes to show that there's still a lot of great people out there in this world trying to do good things and, and help other people out. So, Amen. Um, that's that's awesome. Amen. Yeah. Well, yeah, I like again, I really appreciate you guys helping share the word um uh about this this charity. Um Terry's the one I, I don't want to take any credit whatsoever. Terry is doing all the work. I'm just helping spread the word, uh, donating a hunt, but really that's that's minor because I'd be going hunting anyway. I'm just gonna make a new friend and take them along for a few days. So um, Terry's the one that deserves all the credit for this. Well, we'll have to we'll have to get a hold of Terry as well, and and um, and do something with Terry. I know just the way that you guys are are faith based, good Christians, and you, and you try to do things for other people. You know, you try to be a good person and help and help people out. That goes such a long way, and uh, you know, I try to live by that way. So I I just really appreciate what you do and. Big fan, so thanks a lot, Don. Well, thank you. That's how I try to live. I stumble. You don't have to watch me very long. You're going to see me stumble, but all we can do is get back up and uh, try to keep going. That's right. For sure. 
So is there anything else you want to get off your chest before we wrap this up? Um, Where can we see or hear from you next? What's new in the world of Higgins Outdoors? Well, I've got some new things in the works I'm really not ready to talk about yet. But, uh, you know, I think in the past I've talked to you guys about coming to my Whitetail Master Course. Yep. And, uh, you know, I I appreciate what you guys are doing, spreading the word about the uh, habitat. I'm a big believer that as hunters, um, we should be called, we're called to be stewards, um, not killers of wildlife. We're stewards of wildlife. And, you know, there's not enough people preaching that in in the hunting industry. There's a growing legion of people that are. Sure. But, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate folks that are, are giving back. They're, they're not just out there buying a deer tag, trying to kill something, and, and takers is what I call them. There's there's takers and givers in this world, and the deer hunters that are trying to create habitat are, are, are givers. You know, they're giving back. They're giving back way more than they ever take um, from our wildlife and our natural resources. So um, I just want to invite you guys again. I know I kind of dropped the ball, but. If you guys want to come to my Whitetail Master Course and uh, next spring, um, I'd love to have you. You know, for a couple of days, and um, it's going to be a little bit different next year. I've got uh, next. I, I've got a new switchgrass planting, so as well as one that's a year old. So next winter, when when these or spring, when these classes happen, you'll get to see a one-year-old planting of miscanthus and switchgrass, and you'll get to see a two-year-old planting of miscanthus and switchgrass, as well as a mature stand. So that's something that I've never been able to show before, but uh, the students that attend next year will see that. Um, my 120-acre farm has produced two bucks over 200 inches. You'll get to see the very stands and, and blind where those bucks were shot. So I just want to invite you guys to come out and uh, see what it's all about. You can even record a podcast from here if you want. We used to record a Chasing Giants podcast, but uh, there's no reason why you guys couldn't record too. Well, sure. Shoot. There's no reason we can't do both. Uh, Sounds great. I mean, you're when you're talking about people who, who give back to the wildlife, our listeners. Now, I'm not talking about Brian or I. I'm talking about our listeners. They're They're top notch. They're on top of the list, so I appreciate you saying that. And and heck yeah, we'll we'll be there. Do you have dates in mind for uh, 2022 spring so far? I do not have dates yet. Um, well, I, tip, I get a lot of requests for speaking engagements during that time of the year, so I kind of try to allow those invitations to to speak to come in first and see what dates they take, and then I try to fill in around those with the the classes. Sure. No, that so, I mean, sense. probably by November is when I'll know the dates. Okay. I'll put a follow-up in my calendar to, to get at you then. I'm sure I'll be texting you congrats by then anyways <laughs> this year, but uh, we'll be sure to uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> to follow up with you then, and, and, and then we'll, we can report back to the listeners about your master class too uh, from a first-hand experience. So that'd be wonderful. Yeah. Well, I look forward to having you guys here. Well, Don, if anybody wants to to keep up with you right now, um, your most active Facebook and Instagram pages are? Uh, Higgins Outdoors. Um, uh, Higgins Outdoors is my Instagram. 
um, page and then, or account, and then uh, on Facebook, I've got two pages. I've got if you go to Don Higgins, you're just going to get my personal page, and you're going to probably get a lot of political. Uh, you see a lot of political stuff that you're either going to really agree with or really not. <laughs> but then I've got a second uh, Facebook page that that's simply just about deer hunting and habitat things like that, and that page is Higgins Outdoors slash Don Higgins. So. Um, you can follow along there. I try to make a fairly regular post and uh, try to make them relevant to the time of the year. Um, during the, the rut in November, I always have a rut report uh, every day, starting in late October. Um, draws. I mean, it, it's just been a huge draw. Um, some of the posts last year, you know, had over a hundred thousand views. So, uh, you know, if anybody wants to follow along, that's the place to be. Very nice. And for anybody who, again, the links are below in the show notes to this podcast you're listening to right now. But Lester'sFeetFoundation.org is a charity we're talking about today. That's Lester's, L-E-S-T-E-R-S, FeetFoundation.org. Um, excited to see, uh, you know, the winners from, from there and excited to really see where the money goes uh, after this is wrapped up, Don. So, you know, just want to thank you very much for coming on and uh, spending your time with us tonight. And we'll be keeping in touch with you soon. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I just want to say hello to all your listeners. And, uh, you know, I follow you guys on social media, too. So uh, I just am a big fan of anyone, um, no matter what size property they have, that's trying to give back. So, uh, you know, thanks to everybody that's a giver instead of a taker. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.